Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Many times when we pray, we ask, we plead, we praise. All fine and good, but prayer is a two-way conversation with Jesus. Today, our Teach Us to Pray series continues, and the subject is listening. How do we hear God's part of the conversation? Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun as he introduces our guest speaker. Well, we're so fortunate to have with us, uh, come over here in the light, uh, Jonathan Mu, and he is a uh, professor of theology at Whitworth. Is it theology? You have a longer title, right? Professor of Theology. Well, it's at- kind of ridiculous, but professor of New Testament and environmental studies. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> and, and if you don't know, Whitworth is uh, a Christian college, Presbyterian related um, yes. in Spokane, uh, Washington. And he holds graduate degrees in like wildlife ecology along with theology, having studied at Cambridge University in England, where he got his doctorate, which means he's smart. And uh, plus he has two degrees at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Um, You know, most of us pastors here at this church went to Fuller, so we always say two degrees at Gordon-Conwell is worth one at Fuller. (laughs) Also an undergraduate at Lake Forest. Anybody went to Lake Forest? Okay. And uh, <laughs> master's at Utah State. So he has like five degrees. That's a lot of alphabet soup, man. Like, wow. And he's the author of Let Creation Rejoice, Biblical Hope and Ecological Crisis. Uh, and uh, also a book uh, entitled Creation Care, A Biblical Theology of the Natural World. He's working on a book on, uh, on the book of Revelation. And uh, he is a board member of Arasha. And if you walked in late, um, Arasha is this wonderful uh, Christian environmental creation care uh, nonprofit that has in how many countries? 21. 21 countries. And they have four sites in the United States and maybe a fifth one might be in Hawaii someday. And uh, so it's great to have you. Come out here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, got to get you in the camera and in the light. So... um, so the last name Mu is an interesting name. I don't know anybody named Mu. I thought he was Chinese, and then I saw him. Um, <laughs> so how did the name Mu come about? Um, when my great-grandfather emigrated to the States, at least as the story goes, his name was Erickson. And they said, there's too many Ericksons. You're never going to get your mail. So change your name. I guess this happened to a lot of people. I don't know if it happened to any of you, your ancestors. But unfortunately, my great, or great-grandfather didn't know English and chose the name of the town he was from, which was M-O in Norwegian, in Norway, and it got written down wrong supposedly to M-O-O, and so, boo. Great, great name. We have a very uh, beloved animal in the state called Lani Moo, but um, anyway, so um, how did you first get interested in creation care? We were talking about creation care, Beth, that's why you said that, so. so um, <laughs> Um, I suppose, I mean, as a child growing up, I just loved being outside, exploring, hiking, fishing. And so I had this just a love of nature. Um, and I ended up, because of that, studying wildlife biology and ecology. And as I did that, I both learned all the more to celebrate and delight in this beautiful, diverse world that God has created. But also, to be honest, to lament that all of the things I was studying seemed to be being lost. And when I went to my church, I had a great church, but we never talked about those things. 
Um, it was never a part of the gospel. And so it just led me to actually, it's, part, it's actually partly how I ended up going back and studying scripture and theology, is I wanted to understand what does God say about the nature of this creation and our responsibilities for it, and how does God intend to speak to us through that? So that's where it began. And you teach at Whitworth. Do you see the younger generation being very interested in um, the environment, maybe even more so than the older generations, or how, how are they? I do very much so. It's a great encouragement to me, um, both how my Christian students who come to Whitworth um, are kind of like I was when I was their age, longing to hear what Scripture says about the natural world, about creation, about climate, and about how they can be involved in God's purposes in the world in this time, and the hope that we have in the gospel. And the other side, Whitworth, one of the joys of teaching there is we get students who come in as committed Christians or are going to go on to be pastors, and we also have students who come who have no background in the Christian faith, have never opened the Bible before. And when they come alive, when they see the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that yes, it's about them and God in Christ, but that reconciliation with God in Christ also means our reconciliation with each other and with all of creation, with the earth too. It's been a delight so often to see them actually come to hear God speaking to them through that and to come to faith in Christ. And so I'm really encouraged by the younger generation and their engagement in these issues. So, so grateful for churches like yours that are taking that seriously as well. Trying to, yeah. Well, great. So, um, a rasha, just you know, is Portuguese for the rock, and it's like A space and then capital R O C H A. Some of us say arasha, some of us say arosha. Which way should we say it? I say arasha. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I don't know Portuguese. It's like the biggest obstacle to us is our name. It's hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, please give a warm welcome to Dr. Jonathan Moo. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I've just been here for two days now, my first time in Hawaii, and I'm just in awe. Um, I wish we could have just taken all of the worship and kept doing that for the rest of the morning, maybe outside in this beautiful property. It'd be better than what I'm going to say, but I pray that God might speak to us uh, through this in any case. Um, I learned that you're in the middle of a sermon series on prayer here at First Presbyterian. Last week, you focused on contemplation. And the focus today is on hearing God's voice. How does God speak to us? And how can we hear when God speaks to us? And I think when we ask the question that way, the first thing we think of, and maybe the first thing I think of is, well, how does God speak to us when we have a really difficult decision to make, when we're really uncertain about ourselves or God's will for, our, for us? I wonder if you've ever found yourself crying out in prayer for God to speak longed to hear God's voice amidst the noise and busyness of our everyday lives. Just last Sunday, one week ago, it feels hard to believe given the different climate and context, after church in the afternoon, I went up for a long ski tour uh, in the mountains above my town in Spokane, Washington. And I think because it was Super Bowl Sunday, there was no one else out, so I had the hills to myself. And it was just beautiful, several feet of snow on the ground, the trees covered in snow and hoarfrost, the valleys were having fog along the valley bottoms, um, along the, the rivers and streams um, because of the cold. Um, and this, as the sun began to set, the sky just turned that brilliant orange, which actually last night, did you see the sunset last night? It was just beautiful. Um, I was reminded of that. But I found a place where I often stop in this meadow on a hillside, and I stopped just to look at the view and to pray. And I found myself asking God to speak to me, to help me gain some clarity about uh, just a particular difficult situation I'm facing back home right now. 
to know what kind of decision I should make. And here, I'm going to do something I probably shouldn't do as just a visiting preacher and be more honest with you than maybe I should be. I've prayed those kind of prayers many times in my life, lots of difficult and challenging times. And the number of times that I've heard the audible voice of God speaking to me or had some dramatic sign from heaven is essentially zero. I know that God can speak in those dramatic ways. God can and does do that. The Bible is full of examples. You think about Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, to Paul. And I have dear friends who hear God's voice in very specific and direct ways. It's been an important part of their guidance through their life is God speaking in those direct ways. Sometimes I think I'm envious of those friends. Perhaps you find yourself in a position like mine. But then I remember the number of times that even the great heroes of Scripture did not get the dramatic sign that they looked for or perhaps the answer that they wanted. The times when God seemed silent when God was speaking more in the whisper than out of the storm. Most of all, I think think about Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before the cross, where he is overwhelmed with sorrow, the Gospels tell us, asking if he can be spared what is about to come. And the text doesn't tell us that Jesus got an answer. We're certainly not told of any dramatic voice from God coming to him. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, There isn't even time for an answer. Right in the middle of Jesus' praying, suddenly Judas and the soldiers turn up and he is headed now towards the cross. So we don't always hear God when we pray, or at least not, I guess, in the direct way that we might want. And yet, our God is a God who speaks. And so this morning, what I'm planning to do is to explore how God has spoken and continues to speak to us. Not always in that voice from heaven sort of the way. Although God, of course, can and does do that too. But above all, through God's revelation in scripture and God's revelation in creation. And we will also reflect, given the purpose of my visit here, on what hearing God's voice in creation might mean for how we care for the world that belongs to him. My role at Whitworth, as I said, is to teach environmental studies and to teach New Testament In practice, that means some days I get to teach New Testament Greek in the morning and in the afternoon be running around the mountains with my students studying ecology. It's the best life. And as I see it, what I get to do is to explore how God has revealed himself both in nature and in scripture. And that is the focus of our text for this morning, which is going to be Psalm 19. If you have your Bibles, you might open and turn there. I'm about to read this text for you um, so you can follow along. But I want you, even if you don't have a Bible, just to listen to how David in this psalm celebrates in the first half how nature testifies to God, and in the second half how the law, God's spoken word, uh, testifies to God. So let me read this for us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, endearing forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern their own errors? But forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Did you notice the two different sections of the psalm? The first half celebrating how the sky and by extension really all of creation declares truth about God. And the second half, how the law, the statutes, commands, and written words of scripture speak to us of God and of how we are called to live. So because of this teaching in scripture itself, last week as I sat on that mountainside praying and waiting to hear God's voice, I had confidence that God has not been silent. Even if I didn't get the immediate answer to my particular questions at that time, God has shown me in scripture something of who God is something of the nature of God's world and of who God is calling me to be. And all around me, as I sat in that mountainside, I had the testimony of God's good creation, just as we have it here in this room and in the windows behind us. I described something about the beauty of that place where I sat to you, um, and it's a place that also reminds me of how small and insignificant I am. I felt somewhat similarly yesterday um, out on the ocean um, uh, in the afternoon. Who am I? One infinitesimal speck sitting on a snow in the rock last week, here for the very briefest of moments, engulfed in time and space that stretches towards unimaginable distances on all sides. It's reminded of uh, Blaise Pascal, the great 17th century scientist, who describes the potential terror we might have when we see how small we are in the world. Engulfed in the infinite immensity of spaces whereof I know nothing, and which know nothing of me, he said, I am terrified. The eternal silence of these infinite spaces frightened me. But it was not alienation or terror that I felt last week. Actually, I felt that moment a profound insignificance that meant I actually had peace and a sense of belonging I had not had before. After weeks of work and deadlines and busyness and a feeling that I could not keep up, and a growing despair about the brokenness of our suffering world. I entered for a moment into what the poet Wendell Berry has called the grace of the world and was free. I knew for a moment that I was kept in a keeping that is not my own. I was released from the lie that everything depends upon me, that my decisions are the only thing that matter, that I am at the center of the universe. And instead, I was re-centered on the one who is at the center of the world, God in Christ, the one whose rule and reign shall never end. So though I didn't get that voice from the clouds, God was speaking to me last week through creation, giving me perspective, comfort, hope, even a bit of clarity about my immediate questions. I think I experienced something of what David might be getting at at the beginning of Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims God's handiwork. The heavens tell us something. The sky, the star, the moon, the sun, the unimaginable expanses of space. For David, 
The sky points beyond itself to speak to us of the transcendent God, the one whose glory and rule and creative power is such that the only way we can respond is awe and worship. And this testimony of the sky doesn't stop. It's unending. We can stop listening, stop truly seeing, but it doesn't end. Day to day, they pour forth speech. Night to night, they declare knowledge. And this testimony is universal, accessible to every single person. Their voice goes out throughout the earth, their words to the end of the world. I think it's interesting that of all the parts of creation that might be said to reveal God's glory, David focuses on the sky, on the canopy that stretches over all of us wherever we are. A few verses later, it's the sun that's celebrated. Nothing is hid from its heat. Even the word that's used for God here in this first half of the psalm is the most simple and universal word for God in Hebrew, El. This is, it's not till we get to the second part of the psalm that we get the personal name of God, the Lord, the name of God revealed to Moses in the burning bush. So this God who is revealed in creation is the same Lord God who has liberated the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. The God who the New Testament writers will say is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. No simple local deity who serves as God for just one people or one region. This is the Lord of all creation, the one who made all things and for whom all things were made. As the Apostle Paul will say in that famous speech to the Athenians on Mars Hill next to the Acropolis in Athens, we are all children of the same God. God created all things, rules over all things, and is near to every single one of us. And what God has made tells us something of who God is. Like an artist whose paintings give us a glimpse of who they are and how they see the world, so does God's creation reveal something of God. And since God speaks through creation, in which we all share, everyone everywhere can potentially hear his voice. And I think there's an interesting application of this. The only two times in the whole of the New Testament where we have an example of preaching to those who know nothing about the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, is Paul in Acts when he's preaching to the Athenians, as we just saw, and another time in Lystra. And both times, Paul starts with God's revelation in creation. So we already mentioned Paul's talk on Mars Hill, where he starts with God as creator, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas have just healed a crippled man. And after this healing, the people of Lystra think that Paul and Bartimaeus are gods and they try to worship them. And Paul and Bartimaeus almost, I think, to try to say, no, we're just human beings like you, are like ripping their tunics off and running to the crowd saying, look, no, we are just mortals like you. Friends, why are you doing this? Here's what they say. This is Acts 14, 15 to 17. We bring you good news, the gospel, that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet God has not left himself without a witness. In doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. For Paul, all the gifts of God's good creation rain and harvest and food and even the experience of joy in our hearts are witnesses that testify to a good and loving creator. So when we proclaim the gospel, even to those who know nothing about Jesus Christ yet, 
we can share Paul's confidence that they have already received some testimony about the God revealed in Christ. God's already been speaking to them. We all share in the life of the same creation, a creation that reveals a God who desires to be known, to provide for our needs, to do us good, and to give us life and joy. Going back to Psalm 19, I don't know if you notice how the whole psalm is full of this sense of joy and celebration. Maybe especially the image of the son who comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, like a strong man runs his course with joy. I'm reminded of Psalm 148 and many other psalms where every creature and every part of creation worships and glorifies God just by being itself. At the end of Psalm 148, we human creatures are invited as sort of latecomers to the party to step into the choir ourselves and to add our voices to the voice of all creation that's already glorifying and worshiping God. The Psalms and all of Scripture invite us to come and see the world of nature as God's creation and to share in God's delight and the diversity of this teeming, beautiful, awe-inspiring, and even sometimes terrifying world. I love that we sang that hymn, those hymns this morning. I actually was going to read to you some of the lines from This is Our Father's World. All nature scenes and round me rings the music of the spheres. God speaks to us everywhere. I wonder what keeps us from hearing this, from discerning how God speaks to us through God's world. Do you hear God speaking through creation around you day by day? I wonder if sometimes we don't just because we don't stop to listen. We all know we live in a world of busyness, of distraction, of total noise. Lots of it we can't escape. It's imposed on us. But some of it we also invite into our lives. We're not always wise with how we use the technologies that are so good for connecting us to each other, giving us information, entertaining us. And yet sometimes they also serve simply to distract us maybe to deaden us to the people in the world around us, even to enslave us. I wonder, actually, just thinking about Lent beginning this Wednesday, what would it look like? Maybe just to decide every morning for the first 30 minutes or hour not to grab your phone. Maybe to take a Sabbath day each week during Lent where you actually don't look at a screen, where you're engaged with the people and the place in which you find yourself. Sometimes I think at least true for myself, we maybe even embrace the noise and busyness of our life precisely so we can avoid hearing God. Maybe we fear what we might learn about ourselves or about God's call on us if we actually just sat in stillness for a while. I was so grateful to see that last Sunday you actually focused here on contemplation as a part of our prayer to God. You not only learned about it, but you actually practiced it in the service. If we're to hear God's voice, we surely have to start here. Some of you are doing a video series on prayer with Peter Grieg, and he suggests that the first way we prepare ourselves to listen to God is simply to slow down, sit in quiet, contemplate God's glory in creation. Remember that we're embodied creatures. Join with all the other creatures in the praise of God in Christ. and Find again our proper center and our proper measure there. Now, when we attend to what creation is saying about God, we don't always know what to make of it. And I think the psalm actually acknowledges that there's something unusual about the way creation testifies to God. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. 
And yet, the psalmist says, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. I wonder what's going on here. Well, I think, obviously, nature's testimony is very different than human words or, indeed, the revelation of God in Scripture. And I think it's for this reason that perhaps we too easily dismiss what nature might tell us about God. Even more than the Bible, the natural world is open to different interpretations. Contemplation of the heavens leads some to praise God. It leads others to reject even the possibility of God. So that's why the psalmist joins together the celebration of how God speaks in creation with how God speaks in God's law and the special revelation of God in human words. For the psalmist, scripture, God's law in its fullness is not a burden. It's not a list of arbitrary demands or standards that we're just trying to live up to. Instead, it's a gift. It's a revelation of how to truly live, how to find joy and wisdom and flourishing life. For followers of Christ, we can say that it is in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures that bear witness to him, which means the Old Testament and the New Testament together, that we can hear God's voice and also how we discover who we truly are. It's in Christ that we learn that wisdom and life and love find our true vocation, our true identity. If that's true, it's no longer that the psalmist longs for God's words, finds them more precious than gold, sweeter than the best of honey. wonder if we long for God's word in the same way that the psalmist does. I wonder if we need to open our Bibles more often to taste and see that the Lord is good, to cultivate an appetite for God's word that can shape us into the sort of people we are meant to be, and indeed the kind of people who can listen for God's voice. And I want to just make, I can't help because I'm a biblical scholar, to suggest two ways in which we might listen to God's voice in scripture in particular. And I'm excited to see the things your church is doing to enable you to do this. You have the resources right here. And the first thing I do want to say is embracing the seriousness of the study of scripture. We trust that God, by God's spirit, can speak to all of us, no matter how feeble our minds or imperfect our understanding. I'm sure grateful for that. But surely God, who created us, delights when we use our minds to the best of our ability to seek wisdom and understanding and how we interpret scripture. If God of the universe has spoken in these particular ways, in these particular times and places, then why would we not want to enter together joyfully into that lifelong task of interpreting and applying what God has revealed in Scripture, using all the tools and resources we have? We know how easy it is to go awry otherwise, right? If we try to interpret Scripture without any reference to how God has revealed it in particular times and places, we need context. I'm reminded of a, I was canoeing with a friend in a river some years ago, and I was in the back, so I was steering, and there was a branch hanging over the river, and I wasn't going to be able to avoid it, and so I said, duck. And my friend just kind of kept canoeing along, and I said, duck. And um, finally, we're getting closer and closer, and just about to hit it, I'm like, Tim, duck, look out, you're going to get knocked back. And it was too late, he's just still looking around like this. The tree hits him in the face, knocks him to the back of the canoe, almost knocked us over into the river. Maybe you figured out what was going on. He was thinking, I was saying, look for the duck, look for the waterfall, and was looking all around, not paying any attention to the branch. He didn't have the context to interpret what I was trying to say. Um, Sometimes our faith is capsized by our failure to attend to the reality of how God has revealed God's self in Scripture. Um, Context matters. And I have to say, as someone working in a commentary on Revelation, 
um, and wrestling with very different cultural and historical context of that, I learn how much this study repays, how much I learn by attending carefully to the text. It's actually a joy to me as someone who's been studying scripture now for a long time in an academic context as well as in church to discover afresh, day by day, new things as I am immersed in the Word. Sometimes I sit down at my computer, I have all my text out, and just you don't feel like doing it. I mean, I'm sure you all love to go to work every day. Um, I have the best job, but still sometimes don't feel like doing it. But then you're an hour or two in, and it's amazing how God continues to speak um, in fresh ways through the Word. So you're not surprised, as a biblical scholar, I'd say, study the Bible. But let me just also say that I have found necessary sometimes, actually regularly, to set aside all my commentaries, to set aside my Bible notes, my ever-questioning mind, and also to just sit and experience Scripture with my heart as well as with my mind. I found really useful the ancient practice of Lectio Divina. There's different ways of doing this, and I think some of you are learning one approach from Peter Grieg again in that series you're doing. For me, it means reading Scripture, reading it again, and reading it a third time, whatever passage I'm going through, and looking for just that one word or one phrase that might emerge from that reading, and then sitting and praying contemplatively over that word or phrase. It's not opposed to my academic study of Scripture, um, and I actually find they complement each other, but it's a way of actually experiencing and celebrating God's revelation in the Word and being open to God speaking into my life in fresh ways. One last thing on listening to God in Scripture I think it's actually here that we also get some help with a question we might have when, for example, God does, by God's grace, speak to us in particular in dramatic ways or to our friends or people in our community, how we discern that that's actually God speaking and not just us deluding ourselves about what God is calling us to do. Scripture, being immersed in Scripture, enables us to be the kind of people who better discern God's, God's voice and also, I think, can be a check against those voices that might falsely identify as gods. I'm always struck when I read the book of Acts, how when Paul preaches in Berea, that the Bereans accept the word gratefully, but they also check everything out that he says against scripture, against the Bible. Um, so if that's the case for the apostle Paul, surely we should do that with each other too. Um, when we have a word from the Lord, to bring that to scripture, to bring that to our community, to seek wisdom and discernment together. Now, when we go to scripture, it turns out, of course, that it's actually here that our eyes can be opened again to the beauty and wonder of creation. Back, rather than a meaningless world, Scripture invites us to discern meaning and purpose and goodness in the universe, to delight in it, a creation that transcends us and yet to which we belong as creatures because we belong to the same creator and redeemer. Christian faith discloses a world of wonder, and it gives us a compelling vision by which to orient our lives. I wonder if you know one of my, famous, my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. There's a similar way of expressing the same thought in the, by the British novelist Evelyn Waugh, um, who describes what conversion to Christ consists in. He says it's about stepping across, across the threshold into the real world that God made. We can see the world aright, and then begins the delicious process of exploring it limitlessly. We are invited in the light of God's revelation to us in Christ and Scripture to enter into the community of creation and to embark on the exploration and study of it. 
like King Solomon, were invited to become all of us amateur natural historians, those who can speak with some wisdom about plants and trees and all of God's creatures. Just this Friday, I had the gift of exploring your land right here with Pastor Dan and Chris and Jamie and Brian. And let me say what an extraordinary delight it was to see the land and the water and the trees and the fungi and the birds of this place through their eyes, to learn a little bit about how life flourishes in this beautiful, wondrous place, how God's extravagant generosity in creation is manifest here. Yet there's also a cautionary tale here, because if we all do become amateur ecologists like King Solomon was, or even if we just open our eyes and our hearts to attend to the earth in our time, we will hear not only praise and celebration, but also lament. This is true even in this most beautiful of places I have been learning these last couple of days. The flourishing of life that God intends is often diminished, flattened, expunged, polluted by the legacy of our collective failures to heed God's voice to care well for the land that also cares for us. I think on a global scale, as a former biologist, of the diminishment of the diversity of life, other species being driven extinct at rates 100 to 1,000 times the background rate. And perhaps most shocking to me, within the lifetime of many of us in this room, just since 1970, the abundance of wild creatures on Earth has declined by 69%. I wonder what God's voice sounds like in times such as this. We have some clues in scripture. Here's what Jeremiah says, and this is God speaking in Jeremiah 9. God says, I will weep and wail for the mountains and take up a lament concerning the wilderness grasslands. They are desolate and untraveled, and the lowing of cattle is not heard. The birds have all gone, and the animals are gone. God groans alongside us and alongside an entire groaning creation. So I wonder if the sky and sea and earth and all its creatures testify to the living God, what does it mean when our actions are really more often perhaps for many of us our failure to act, our mute acceptance of business as usual leads to the ruin of other life? What does it mean when degraded lands and waters make it impossible for some of our sisters and brothers to experience the gifts of the living God who desires to provide food and fruitful seasons and joy in the hearts of all. I wonder, I don't know if this is too extreme an image, if our ruin of God's creation might be compared to ripping out the pages of our Bibles before we hand it down to the generations to come. By contrast, what if instead we stop more to listen to God's voice in creation and in scripture, and to assess all of our work in the light of how it participates in the purposes of our loving, creative, and redeeming God. And I think for one thing, our role in creation could never be domination or exploitation. It could only ever look like care and protection, service and love, love for God and love for neighbor, the sort of love that Jesus teaches, embodies, and that the Holy Spirit enables. If God speaks in creation, in the book of nature and the book of scripture, let us seek to ensure that both are handed down intact, cherished, and lovingly cared for as gifts. 
And this is what excites me, actually, as I see the work that you're all up to right here. Here in this piece of God's creation, I see a vision of healing and restoration and of newly flourishing life. It's a new life that begins by listening to God's voice. And also, I've been so pleased to see listening to the voice of those who have lived on this land for a millennia or more and who have cared for and been cared for this place and have much wisdom to give us. What might it be for this land, for this particular place, for your church, and indeed for Christ's church around the world, to be refugia of flourishing life and rushing clean waters, a beacon of God's kingdom to which others might be drawn and through which they might better see and hear their creator and redeemer. When we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and for God to grant us our daily bread, let us also listen to hear how God might include us in that good work. And I'm just going to conclude with a poem from Wendell Berry that reminds us of how it is always only by God's grace that such work bears fruit. Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn. For that, the hand must ache, the face must sweat. And yet, no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace. That we may reap, great work is done while we're asleep. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. Amen. Join me in prayer. Lord, um, thank you so much for the message from uh, Jonathan. And uh, we do pray that the truth of what he was what he preached on, of, of seeing you in a new way, hearing about you in a new way, and that as you're calling us to really consider what your will is uh, for this land and how we could be a beacon for the entire world of integrating um, a sensitivity to the land that you have created. And so, Lord, we come to you with a great sense of awe and appreciation and um, what we do here could affect uh, literally thousands of people. Um, and as Jonathan preached, that even for Paul, when he spoke to non-Christians, um, he always talked about creation. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Jonathan, for the great word. I, just before I give the, uh, the final blessing, and perhaps the Lord spoke to you in a myriad of different ways. Uh, for some of you, you want some prayer, and the prayer team is right back there in that corner through the glass doors, and maybe it's something... Jonathan said, or you came here today with a certain emotional or spiritual or physical need. And so um, please take advantage of that. Um, thank you all for the volunteers who helped serve today in a myriad of ways, whether tech team or hospitality. And if you ever want to join the team, we could use your help, especially um, after second service when it's time to um, take things down or before first service to set things up um, in any a myriad of different ways. And I have all my notes here. Oh, and uh, feel free to go have some coffee at the Espresso Bar Hebrews. Okay, please stand as I give uh, a final blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and protect you. And may his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. 
And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may you declare his glory to all the world of what he has done in creating this world. In Christ's name, amen. When we pray, we hear God in a few different ways. Today, we learn that one way he speaks to us is quietly through nature. Thanks to Dr. Jonathan Moo for his words on listening to God. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Pres sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Join First Pres for church. We'd love to see you in person or online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at The Vine in Kaka'ako, or online through our websites. And remember, when you visit the website, check out the news page to keep up with everything that's happening at First Pres. You can also sign up for emails, listen to or watch sermons, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Pres can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2023 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.